This week we're digging deeper into the farm ecosystem. It's the latest in our Farming with Nature series this week on Over the Farm Gate and we're taking a closer look at regenerative farming. We'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Friday so make sure you're subscribed on your favourite platform. Now taking a regenerative approach can introduce more complexity into your farm business. Jess Fredenberg has been finding out more on how to navigate it. Did you know the School of Sustainable Food and Farming has announced a £50,000 prize pot for farmers who are trying to develop sustainable farming practices? The Journey to Net Zero competition wants to support farmers who are planning to implement a scalable, sustainable farming system or process that will have a positive and measurable impact on how they farm. Grants of between £5,000 and £20,000 are available and you have until the 30th of September to enter online. The competition is being supported by Bradford Estates, Harper Adams University, McDonald's, Morrison's, the NFU, Trinity AgTech and Trinity Global Farm Pioneers. Bradford Estates are delighted to be a competition partner. We believe it will help provide scientific evidence to support more sustainable and regenerative farming systems. Our mission is to become a centre for excellence in sustainable farming guided by a target to achieve net zero by 2030. To find out more and to enter, visit www.fginsight.com forward slash net zero competition. Entries close on September 30th, 2022. Hello everyone. Now, have you got your notebooks and pens ready? Because for this episode, you'll really want them. If you've been listening to our Farming with Nature series or reading about it in the mag, you'll have heard us talk quite a bit about seeing your farm as an ecosystem. But we've not really explored the idea in depth until now um, or how you manage the complexity and diversity that that brings. So today that's exactly what we're going to be doing and I'm pleased to be joined by Caroline Grindrod, a former farmer and conservationist and now a consultant and coach in regenerative farming systems. Caroline, um, to give us some some background, can you can you just tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you actually work with farmers on regenerative farming? Yeah, absolutely. So my original kind of background was in environmental conservation, but in a very practical sense in the Yorkshire Dales, and and then I married a farmer and we took on a tenancy, and then we got a tenancy in the Lake District, so kind of a really hilly region, and that's been a bit of a theme for my life being around the hilly regions really and um, sort of was involved in that for a couple of decades and got the chance to sort of look at how do we integrate, how do we create a really integrated model of farming that also understands ecology and, and benefits it. And, and then I trained in holistic management with the Savory Institute, so became an accredited professional. And I've spent the last six or seven years trying to explore what does that look like in the UK? And particularly, what does that look like in the hilly regions of the UK where it's a little bit harder to imagine how that works. And then I founded uh, with my husband and another business partner, um, Wilderculture, which is a community interest organisation dedicated to sort of answering the question, yeah, how do we do regenerative integrated systems in the uplands? How can we design systems that understand whole system function that can incorporate rewilding and regenerative grazing? Um, to make profitable, socially 
and culturally appropriate models for the future. Thank you. So I think a large part of um, what you do, and I'm, I'm taking this from your your um, your website as well, is seeing the farm as an ecosystem. Can you can you explain to to us um, what are the fundamentals of of that of an ecosystem in the farm context, and what is this shift in perspective? I guess because not necessarily. It's maybe for some people that's it's something new, isn't it, to think of their farm as an ecosystem? Yeah, very much. And, and the way I teach it and how I think of it is very much more than just trying to get better biodiversity. It's a whole system approach. So, And it's a very difficult thing to explain without a little bit of time, which is why I'm so grateful for this opportunity. <laughs> but I think the best, the best way to answer this question is to teach how we sort of look at the land. So we, we look through these sort of windows, if you like, into the ecosystem and we think of that as the health of the land, you know, so we we talk about these different ecosystem processes. So I'll talk you through each one of those very briefly. And you can see that can bring to life how we actually think of land productivity, if you like, because ultimately that's what we're trying to achieve is, yes, better biodiversity is part of that. And that brings more productivity. But, you know, we're trying to get whole system function that benefits farmers and increases the resilience and productivity and also helps to through that increasing sort of complexity and, and, and function, we can, we can start to um, decrease the problem pests and diseases that are plaguing farming now. You know, that's what we're trying to achieve there too. So we sort of look through these different, I, I, I teach it slightly different to holistic management. Everyone's got a slightly different approach, but how, how I look at it is I look at the mineral cycle, the water cycle, the energy flow or photosynthesis, which is much more about productivity, um, airflow, and then I talk about nature's dynamic network. So I'll just go through briefly each one and explain a little bit. So the mineral cycle, or you could call it soil health, is really about how do we build back the soil that we've lost? We've lost an awful lot of soil and fertility over the last you know, hundreds of years, probably, really. How do we start to bring that back? And we now know that, you know, proper grazing, good management of our, our soil, lots of different ways we can do that. But we're looking at, um, we want to rebuild the carbon through carbon sequestration, which needs a living root and a growing plant that's photosynthesizing. So how do we manage our plants essentially and our, keep our soils covered to increase our soil carbon? And then how do we get natural fertility working? How do we build the soil food web and our liquid carbon pathway, which relies, you know, which means that we don't need synthetic fertilizers. We don't need to bring in the fertility because we can then, our plants are able to achieve that through that, um, those natural processes. And that really involves allowing a plant to do its thing, grow properly and not be nibbled down too short, but also having lots of diversity in our swads and managing that if we're plowing, then, you know, recovering that through cover crops and other means. But essentially, if you can get a plant to talk to the soil food web, and we've often think about a plant as being an isolated thing with just a set of roots that takes up nutrients in a soluble form. But in actual fact, we know that with natural systems, the plant exudes you know, um, liquid carbon into the, into the soil profile. And in return, uh, it feeds the microbes. And in return, it's getting minerals and nutrients that the microbes would be able, able to take up from the sort of rock structures and the soil particles that are not normally able to be achieved by the plant alone. So you get this whole system function. The plant is an ecological unit that's essentially got its digestive system intact now. And therefore we don't need fertilizers. So the plants can get everything they need and we can have a, a very you know productive system. So 
under the soil health, we're trying to sort of restore that natural pathway so we can drop the fertiliser use and, and grow optimally throughout the season to increase productivity. And then another window is the water cycle. So that's really about how do we slow the water through the system how do we prevent it running straight off with all of our soil intact? <laughs> how do we make sure we infiltrate, retain um, and allow the water to be, you know, to prevent booming and busting, um, drought, flood. Um, so we can make sure that our, we're, not, we're not being hampered by drought or saturated soils. We're not ending up losing our swords to rush or unproductive plants because they're the only ones that can survive in saturated soils and compacted soils. So, yeah, it's about how do we make sure we are slowing the flow, taking up that water, holding onto it so that it's leaving through a plant that's making use of it to grow. And if we do that, we can significantly increase productivity throughout the season. And this season, of course, has been um, a really problematic one for a lot of farmers. So, And even in the Lake District, where we've got a lot of moisture, we, 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 we flash between you know, dry and then wet and dry and wet much, much more than we used to do. And that would, you know, so every percent, one percent increase in soil organic carbon roughly means that you can hold an extra two buckets of water in the soil, which means that that's going to be buffering and, you know, increasing the productivity of your growth, which is really important. And then another window is photosynthesis or energy flow. That's really about how do we increase the amount of plants we're growing, in a nutshell? Um, if we can increase photosynthesis, we are increasing the energy that everything relies on, whether that's our grazing animal or whether we're eating that plant directly. It has to be converted through sunlight, and that's the energy for the system. So biodiversity is massively limited by that too. But we do that in regenerative agriculture by trying to make sure that we've got more plants growing per square metre. So we can literally have more plants photosynthesizing and converting sunlight into food for our system and carbon into the soil. And uh, we want to manage our leaf area. So we've actually got more photosynthesizing panel facing the sun, which means managing our grazing. So we're not nibbling it down short all the time or leaving our soil bare, bare fallow. You know, we always want to have that um, pump of carbon working and feeding our system. Um, and then we also want to make sure we've got really good diversity in our swads so that um, we can capture all types of different sunlight through the different parts of the year. And we've got plants that photosynthesize all through the winter and early into spring and different plants that enjoy full summer. And we can make sure that we're capturing sunlight all throughout the year. And we also want better soil health, which means that our ca the capacity of the plant can convert more energy. So the more it's connected to the soil okay. food web, the better it will be able to convert that energy. And then we've got airflow, which means that um, the way I think of this, particularly in the uplands, is that we need to reduce the velocity of wind and exposure because we've taken down a lot of trees, we've taken out hedges, we've reduced the structure of our you know, tall vegetation to the point where we've now got windswept upland environments that are cold, barren, and the animals are suffering from exposure and the grasses aren't growing because they are, you know, 20 degrees cooler up there than it needs to be if it was sheltered and shaded. So where can we integrate, you know, tall structures and slow the flow, slow the exposure? And also looking at how does air get into the soil structure? So if we can't get air into our soil structure through having good, you know, crumb structure then nitrogen can't get in and, and essentially that means that we'll then have to try and add nitrogen in synthetic form but air has 78% nitrogen in it so if we can allow that to get in that means that 
the microbes and the plants can do their thing and fix that nitrogen naturally. We don't need to buy it. So, and also that means that we can also get rid of the 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 carbon dioxide and things that would build up otherwise from the soil and make it very anaerobic and unproductive and hamper the ability of our plants to take up nutrients. So those are the kind of four ecosystem processes and you can very quickly see how those would compound into a more productive system. And, and, the, and the last bit that I won't do in any detail, but is nature's dynamic networks, which is how do you increase biodiversity and connectance? So the relationships between the different species how do you increase those so that you're not seeing booming and busting populations of things which you know it could be a rush plant or a bracken or it could be ticks or fly blowflies or a disease whatever we don't want booming populations of things that can do really well and that means that we've got to have complexity to regulate that in the system so that's what we call nature's dynamic networks mm. no thank you for that explanation i think we'll we'll come back back to the um the issue of managing complexity in a bit um i just wanted to ask though i mean i I know you said you you know you tend to focus more on the uplands but if we go more to um to lowland area particularly you know traditionally arable areas um how how important would you say a livestock in in a system like this where we're talking about the farm as an ecosystem because when i think of a natural ecosystem there's always uh you know living things in there aren't there other than just the the vegetation exactly and whole system function is exactly that <clears throat> it has all of those different roles in there and herbivores whether that's a mouse or whether that's a, a cow um they were always part of our natural ecology and therefore with um managing like an ecosystem we are trying to bring that function back and each fu- each different you know functional group of animals um has a role that's really important and yes there's elements of that that we can mimic through technology and things but the more we use technology the more we rely upon things that are manufactured the more that there's a, an environmental cost somewhere else to that uh, you know why not re- reinstate as much of that uh, natural function as possible through species that can live in that system without needing to be fed externally. You know, they don't require fossil fuels to run. They can just run on, run on the, uh, the natural energy of the food from the system. So again, that's what we're trying to mimic. We're trying to increase our resilience and productivity from natural you know, sunshine and rainfall. Hmm. So it's a closed, it's a closed system as well, isn't it? I guess that's the that's the idea of it too. As far as possible, you know. Obviously, yeah. all farming systems are t- this stuff being taken out. But the way I like to think of it is like you're creating a, it's a bit like a bank account. What we want to do is live off this. You know, we live off the interest on the savings account. So we need to build up the savings mm-hmm. to the point where we can just harvest an interest without undermining the savings account. Because what we've been doing is we've been extracting the savings to the point that there's nothing left and we can no longer live off the interest. So we need to get build that back. And that's what we're trying to do. Mm, we're living off our credit cards instead. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so let's, let's assume if you're, if you're a farmer listening to this, let's assume you, you understand the idea of a farm as an ecosystem and <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you've, you've built up some understanding about that. How does that change the way you then farm day to day though? So, I mean, is that's a huge question so i think the best way to answer that is maybe to almost reverse it and think about let's take a fell farming example or hill farming example and you know you could apply this principle anywhere you know across the world but and look at how we used to farm before we had all the tools that we 
had and how we might have benefited from whole system functions. So ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to get, we're trying to mimic an ecosystem because natural ecosystems can actually outproduce even our most modern technological farming, you know, through biomass, in terms of biomass production, they run on sunshine and rainfall year in, year out, producing over and over again without depleting the underlying resource. So there's a lot to learn from them. That's what we're trying to do, really. That's why we're trying to manage as an, an ecosystem. So what we're trying to capture with regenerative is the benefit of this whole system function. So if you take, let's go back 100 years, 200 years to a system where you didn't have all these modern technology with these unintended consequences, then, you know, up on the higher ground, you would have a range of different species. You'd have tall vegetation. Um, you've had dwarf shrubs, heather, bilberries. Um, each one of those would be, you know, have a different nutrient profile. So those animals that were up there were benefiting from all of those different nutrients. The, some plants would do better in, you know, dry spells. Some would do better in a, in a wet year. Um, but the animals would always have something to eat. Plus the diversity of that in their diet would be bringing massive benefit in terms of the nutrients that they can get to be healthy and disease resistant. Um, and also those different plants benefit other species in that system that things like, uh, you know, because the tall structures, you can, spiders are able to, to build their webs and we can get a whole range of spiders that eat insects and problem flies like blowflies and ticks, for instance. And we'll have wasps that will predate on, you know, some problem things that are now becoming a problem for our, our farming animals. So you've got, you know, structure and you've got complexity in your upland environment. You've also got deep carbon soils. You know, in those times we had uh, peatlands on the top and, and, and deeper soils. And of course, as we mentioned, that's slowing the flow. That means that, you know, every 1% is increasing, the, you know, by two buckets per square metre. We, we can slow that. It doesn't go droughty. It's producing all year round. So those animals are able to continually graze and that production is always going to be, you know, carrying on through every year. Then you'd have different animals grazing that environment. So rather than just sheep, um, you know, we would have ponies up there. We'd have uh, cows up there. You know, and each one of those would bring a different benefit to the system. So a different dung would encourage a different type of dung beetle and a different range of insects, which would have different benefits to the system. And, you know, they'd pick up each other's parasites. So they'd be buffering some parasites, you know, to some degree. Um, and then they're also browsing and grazing different species. So you're not getting too much of any one thing grazed. And then in the old systems, they used to understand how important allowing rest and recovery was. So there would be shepherding up there, you know, there's little huts all over the fells because people used to value the shepherding process, which meant allowing rest and recovery because they knew that was important for in maintaining the biodiversity, which was so important because you didn't have you know, the worm is available. You didn't have the mineral blocks available in those days. So you had to make that work. It was more important. So they were shepherded. And as I say, there was more diversity. And then you come down the hill, you know, the, into the bottoms and the, the more in by land and obviously further down the country would be arable as well. But, you know, ultimately on a fell farm, you would be doing your main things like tip, tupping and, and dipping and clipping, you know, at certain times of year. But the rest of the time that land was been, was recovering, it was resting. So the plants would be able to grow tall and also they managed their grazing. There was a, you know, an old saying in this area, I think it's quite common that, you know, don't let the church bill strike twice while the animals are grazing in the same field. So they really did understand the importance of moving animals and allowing rest and recovery and allowing photosynthesis. And we had hay meadows. We had, you look at, 
you know, um, a list of species from Cotswold Seeds now for a herbalay, and you look at what was in our hay meadows once upon a time, and it's the same species. So we've lost all of that function. We've lost those different herb species that brought all the important minerals into the diet and were anthelmintic, so, you know, prevented worms and other diseases. You've, you've lost the soil structure that was created and the root architecture that was created from those different wildflower species. Um, and, and, you know, there wasn't any fertilizer. So, um, that was managing perfectly to produce, you know, good good quality, um, high bricks, high nutrient density food, um, without any input. So that 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 was benefiting from that whole system function. So, you know, all in all, we've 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 benefited all of these sort of slightly non-linear, hard to pin down ways um, that we've. Um, that we've now lost. So I, I suppose, you know, in the answer to the question, how do we farm now? Well, we, we, we look at bringing back that whole system function and, and we start to realise that everything that we pick up as a technological fix, whether that's, you know, a dosing gun or a herbicide or whatever, it might seem like it's straightforward and doesn't have consequences, but they all do have some negative consequences. And what's happened is we've ended up compounding those negative consequences to the point where... We, we now have a system that really doesn't work anymore and it's costing us far too much to run. Mm, okay, so I guess this, this sort of goes back to what, you know, what you mentioned earlier, which is about managing all of this, managing the complexity of this, because it is, it is sort of thinking about, um, let's say, thinking about your farm differently and understanding all those ecosystem processes that you outlined at the beginning and really um, also really sort of encouraging diversity in the system isn't it so how do you how do you go about managing that kind of level of complexity yeah it requires a a different mindset and so the first thing we have to do is we have to train in whole system thinking or holistic thinking non-linear thinking basically so we've got a, a society that's very well trained in thinking about things separating them understanding them on their own you know an example of this is if you think about the whole system function of a sward you know we we got very good at taking a one one plant species and separating it off and studying it in a lab you know in a dead soil and we didn't realize that actually that plant without its microbiome um, without the soil the the living soil is essentially a kind of like a human without its gut you know we're basically it's a holobiont it's an ecological unit that's including the soil that's that's how it digests and, and achieves its nutrients so we've taken that one plant and we've taken it into a lab into a homogenized sterilized soil and then we've tried to understand what which plants are the best and which ones do best on our added nutrients and come to conclusions that have led the whole of agriculture forward, basically. Um, so that one plant, that one grass that you might be studying in isolation might have a certain nutrient, you know, certain ME value, certain protein value, and it's taken out on its own. And then, you know, some plants will look a bit better than others, so you'll choose those plants. But then when you add 16 plants together and you get the three functional groups covered, you've got your legumes in that sward and you've got your your grasses sequestering carbon and, yeah, your legumes fixing nitrogen and you've got your, your herb plants accumulating different nutrients and bringing that all into the system together then every single one of those plants is starting to talk to each other because they're connected through their mycorrhizal networks and the the soil function is better because it's aggregated and you've got lots of organisms and all of that all those plants are sort of connected up and transferring each other nutrients 
if you analyse that same species in that 16, amongst those 16 plants, then you'll get a very different result because that plant will be higher in protein, higher in energy, probably. Um, that, that system will work better because it's going to be more aggregated. It will retain water better. The nutrients will be able to be accumulated collectively, which means that um, you know, it won't run out of fertility. It won't run out of water. Um, so the whole system works better as part of those you know, plants of 16 working together and you could take any number i'm just you know taking an example but so you know ultimately we need to try and train people to start to understand that these things are non-linear and um and that that's a difficult thing to do um but yeah we, we usually start with a couple of days of training going through examples and mm-hmm. thinking about these things in that way and, and then ultimately it's about trying to make sure that you're managing using principles rather than prescriptions so we've We've relied upon people telling us what to do and then following those instructions and expecting predictable results. And that, that works fine on a mechanised system and a, it doesn't work on a living system. So in modern agriculture, what we did is, well, we'll we, beat, <laughs> we beat the system up until it wasn't really natural anymore. So essentially, we've taken out its variables. You know, we've, we've made it predictable. And then that's what, that, what's what works now but if we want to benefit from whole system function which i think is going to become very important um we need to le- to learn how to think about these non-linear things which means looking at working with principles you know looking at you know how do we add complexity not take things away so rather than killing something how do we increase complexity how do we take our hands off the steering wheel a little bit and not get too hung up on weeds and how do we think about whatever we're using, whatever fix we think we're using, we need to question it and think, yeah, what are the unintended consequences of using that tractor, using that fertiliser, and start to really think about that. And that's a decision-making process and that's a a mindset. So it's about encouraging farmers to be part of their ecosystem, observing, so getting in there, watching what's happening, experimenting, looking at what's happening in the verges compared to what's happening in your main fields, um, experimenting, learning from others, you know, um, watching what's happening in nature, um, you know, comparisons and then, and then adapting. So you start, you start your, your management, you, you, you're going to watch and learn. You usually make a complete mess of it. You learn from that, you change it. And then you keep doing that over and over again. It's about feedback, adaptation, replanning. So yeah, we teach people how to kind of work with nature and, you know, that generally makes people much happier because they're not fighting nature anymore. It's, uh, but it does take some time to learn. I think that's um, an interesting point that you just made about people being happier. Mm. You know, when you, when you get all these, like, living, breathing things all working together, like getting it properly, like, singing, you know, all the interactions really functioning well. Do you know, what's the, I guess... You must have seen that happen, you know, working working with farmers through this journey. You know, how does it change how they feel? How does it change, um, I guess, maybe how they feel about their farm and their business? It's been That's been one of the most rewarding bits of my work, actually. Um, I've gone from seeing farmers being full of pride about what they do, feeling like they're contributing an incredibly important role to the country in terms of their food production and being very well respected members of the community to being public enemy number one. And and that's got to feel awful. And that's got to feel even more awful when you're losing money and you don't know what to do about it and nothing seems to work anymore. And 
and no wonder we've got such high rates of suicide in farming and it's tragic. So one of the most rewarding things about my work is, is seeing the light bulbs go off and seeing that they can become part of a solution like the most important solution there is really <laughs> as far as I'm concerned and and then when they start to get it which does take time you know this isn't something you can just go and learn in a course and expect to it just to you know you know sometimes it requires an entire system redesign and that's important because actually you can't just take your existing system and make a few tweaks and expect it to have whole system function. You need every part of that system, including how you work, how the, the, the breed of animals, the genetics, the, every element of it needs to be adapted to this new way of doing things. And, you know, but once you get that, um, then as I say, you're not fighting nature. Things start to work. You start to see the biodiversity come back and value that, you know, I'm not suggesting farmers need to suddenly decide that they're, they're now, you know, managing wildlife and that's their job it's but seeing all of that coming back and then seeing the value and and how much people love to see that brings another sense of pride and then knowing that your farming system is working better and that your animals once you get there and it's a process it, it will take time there'll be lots of ups and downs along the way when the animals are right and the system works well like you say when it's singing um you're you're taking sunshine and water and converting it into a valuable product that's nutrient dense, that people want. People want to come see your farm. They're excited about the reintroductions that are happening, the species that are appearing, you know, the animals that are appearing back in their landscape, the, you know, the, everything changes. And what I'm also seeing is like a real community building in the region movement, which is really exciting. So again, you know, the traditional farming areas, whereas we still get together and make hay or, you know, the livestock shows were a big part of life and the community was a big part of life that seems to have been degraded by everybody being on a tractor and everyone rushing 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 or on a quad bike and whizzing around and all of the stuff that really made farming has kind of quietly disappeared and and that's a, that's a real shame so that's really something that's coming back not not in its original form because particularly in these upland areas a lot of people still haven't you know aren't introduced to regen yet they don't really understand how it could work for them but people are finding new ways of being in a community. There's new online communities that, you know, everyone gets together and on each other's farms. You can't get enough of it once you get started. You know, you're trying to learn and see other people's systems. And and I think also just the community, region community is so forgiving and honest and open about their mistakes because we teach people to be like that. We teach people to share their errors and that, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. You know, you really do need to be pushing the boundaries all the time. So people are much more willing to sort of say, hey, look how I screwed up. Isn't this amazing? I've learned this thing. And I just love to see that on Twitter and things. So, yeah, I think just then you start to feel like maybe there is a solution here. Maybe I'm part of it. And that's just lovely to see. Mm, that that is. And um, it sounds like a great commu- community to be part of as well. Um, where do you think, um, where can farmers really start on, on this? If you say, uh, you, you mentioned a few, you know, a few things first that you should, should really start to, to think about learning, but say you've got, say, say you're someone listening and you think, okay, I really want to, I want to get going on this, but I'm not really sure where to start, but I'm going to set aside, I don't know, some time next week or something, you know, where would you suggest people really make those absolute first kind of baby steps so we always suggest that you start with a bit of a kind of intensive even if it's a couple of days so 
you know, holistic management does a foundations course. We do various training events that are usually a couple of days or like an intensive immersive experience where you, what we're trying to do is break down some of those linear thinking patterns and start to teach people how to think as a whole system and understand the kind of main principles that we're trying to apply. And it's really important that farmers realise that there is no one way of doing this and you can get so far by copying people but you really need to start to understand the principles and then learn how you can design your own system and apply them to your unique context. It's got to be what's right for you on your farm is completely unique and every region farm will be completely different just like nature is different and adapted to every different part of the world so that's really important so you learn the principles then you learn how to create your own context you know what's your version of this going to look like and then you're still not a regenerative farm until you get going and start to try things and then really you can't say i'm regenerating or you know i'm a regenerative farm until you can measure you're getting some outcomes and again that's a minefield as to what are those outcomes but for me it's those ecosystem processes that we started with it's how 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 am i improving the water infiltration how am i improving the carbon sequestration how many new species am i seeing appearing and and measuring and monitoring that and then the farmers you know a regenerative farmer's job is to watch how are those tools creating those improvements and how can i do more of that and how can i design a system that does more and more of that you know, that is the process of being a regenerative farmer. Um, so, yeah, taking that initial course to learn those principles is essential. And then trying to get part of a community and seeing other farms, taking lots of little courses to reinforce that, you know, soil health, animal you know, health, you know, all these different things that are popping up now. Uh, or taking a longer course and, you know, spending your time on YouTube. There's just an absolute wealth of information on there, different people doing amazing things. Um, I also think it's really good to start to get honest with yourself about your own system. So do a little bit of starting to dig holes, starting to look at your own functions uh, in your fields, starting to do things like sitting down with your profit and loss and going through and saying, how much food am I buying in? What's that costing? Uh, where is that coming from? What impact might be that having on other parts of the world? We call that ghost acres. And one of the challenges we've had in Regen is that, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, bold claims banded around saying, oh, we can double your production and all of this sort of thing. But in the UK particularly, we rely on imported feed a lot. So if a farm is a couple of hundred acres, but it's buying in tons and tons of feed, then it's essentially buying in hundreds of acres of somebody else's farm to maintain their production. So what you can't necessarily do is take that farm and increase the number of livestock it's got. So in order to understand where you are, what your starting point is, it's really good to look at what feed you're buying in and what fertility you're buying in and i just think that you know your economics is so illuminating uh how much is my medicine bill how much is my wormer bill how much is my vet bill you know what minerals am i buying in and start to think about you know what would self-sufficiency look like for me i'm not saying that's your ultimate goal but you know it's good to know what that would look like um because the most resilient farm in the world is one that can produce a high quality output that makes enough of a profit from a functional ecosystem that's running from yeah renewables essentially sunshine and rainfall um that's a, that's got resilient enough animals that don't get diseases and the system is making sure that's regulated so that's what we're ultimately trying to aim for but how far you go as an individual will depend on your unique context so so yeah i'd say um training looking at nature once you've learned the principles and working out what does that how does that apply to me uh looking at your profit and loss doing some serious thinking about that um and then yeah just 
sharing, uh, being part of a community, listening, observing, all of that stuff. And in just a, <clears throat> excuse me, in just a couple of lines, um, what would be your top book recommendations for regenerative oh. farming? I think I'd have to say the Holistic Management Handbook because, of course, there is hundreds and each one has a different slant and it's so important in its own way. But the Holistic Management books, Alan Savory's book, um, shows you that it explains the whole system function. That's a great place to start. And then you can start to branch out and learn all of the individual bits as you go. Great. Thank you, Caroline. I feel like I hope everybody listening has had a note, notepad and pen and been writing everything down because that was <laughs> so much amazing information. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Jez and to Caroline. Don't forget to pick up the latest edition of Farmer's Guardian. DEFRA is in chaos as they're forced to make a statement on the future of the environmental land management scheme. We've got full coverage of the Labour Party conference and we also take a look at the impact of the Chancellor's latest tax cuts on your business. That's all we've got time for on this week's Over the Farmgate. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye for now. Hold up. 